whatever kind of format that is, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you've been with us these last couple of weeks, last week I preached uh, really part one of a message from God's Word about our surrendered minds. Our surrendered minds, this, this uh, mind that God gave us, and how Jesus heals our minds. We looked at that last week, how he heals our minds, how he breaks down spiritual strongholds that can control us. Uh, if, you're, if you're listening to this recording, you're not listening to it live, and you didn't hear that, I want you to go back and, you're, go back and listen to last Last week's message, not because it's anything great or profound that I said, but from God's word, we see how he breaks those strongholds. And I want you to take part in that. And I've also been praying this last week, last Sunday, at the end of the message, there, these altars were filled with people. And I've been praying for those who last week experienced a real breaking of strongholds, which is a spiritual it's a, it's a spiritual effect because it's only done by the power of God. And I, so I've been praying for you this last week that those strongholds will continue to be broken, will never be restored, will never be reconstructed, that they will be torn down to the glory of God and that will never come back and be a part, a, a controlling part of your life again. Because he does this healing and, and uh, uh, really a powerful breaking work in our in our minds. So this morning, all of that to say, this morning is really part two to last week's part one. Uh, a few years ago, uh, there was a fascinating study, uh, an extensive study that was done that estimates that our daily intake, not of food, but our daily intake of information is five to six times greater than the average person one generation ago. Just one generation ago, a person living now is, is experiencing five to six more times, five to six times more information daily than an average person 35 years ago. Just one generation. That's a remarkable number. In other words, uh, from the very beginning uh, of, of the day when we wake up, uh, I don't know about you, I, my, my alarm goes off, uh, it's on my phone, I look at it, sometimes I look and see what the weather's going to be so you can dress accordingly, that's information. You go throughout your day, you turn on something, you get the news, it's more information. And really throughout the day, from the very beginning of the day through the end of the day, we're seeing things, hearing things, reading things on a daily basis that are, is now five to six times more than just 35 years ago. It's the equivalent of 34. Those of you who know computer speak will appreciate this, and I don't, but I, I, I have the, the number here. It's the, the equivalent of 34 gigabytes of information is processed daily by the average person. It's enough to, within just a few days, overwhelm many computers, that amount of information. 
one thing after another. You're going to leave here. You're going to, you're going to see something. You're going to see an ad on a billboard. You're going to hear something on a radio. You're going to go someplace. Somebody's going to tell you something. All of this information, the study that was done was done a few years ago, so that number is probably even higher now. So if you've wondered why you're so tired emotionally and mentally, there's a good reason. Our minds, that, that three-pound magnificent brain that God has given you, it thinks so much. How many here are just sometimes, let me see your hands, how many here are sometimes just overwhelmed by the amount of information that comes to you every day? I am. It's just like more stuff. And if you have your Bibles open, I, I want to, before we read here, the, the Holy Spirit inspired a church planter and missionary named Paul, we sometimes refer to him as the Apostle Paul, to write to Christians in the first century Greek city of Corinth. It was a it was a city that, in culturally speaking, is much like our world today in a lot of different respects. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul, directed by the Holy Spirit, is referring to their minds. He's writing to Christians, and he's referring to their, their minds. Verse 4, Paul wrote this. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now stop there for just a moment. Paul's, Paul, what Paul is saying here is that his message of salvation through Jesus Christ did not come through human wisdom, but through God's power. Now that's very foundational. That's a, that's a foundational principle that we really need to get a hold of as a follower of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ is not something that is acquired by, by human wisdom, by what we can learn or ascertain or observe in the world around us, but rather it, is, it, it comes to us through the power of God. This message of salvation through Jesus Christ is a spiritual thing not just a mental thing, not just an intellectual thing. That's foundational. So in verses 6 and following, Paul builds on this foundation. He writes this, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, now listen to this, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So this, this rather lengthy portion of scripture that we just read tells us a couple of things. First of all, God's wisdom and God's thoughts are beyond our human observation. It says there, verse 9 says, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard. That means that nothing we can see 
that nothing we can hear, that nothing that any sense that we have can observe, can fully capture God's truth. It's saying here, it's talking about our limitations. Our mind, which is directly connected to our brain, our ears, which is right there, and and, and it gets to our brain so quickly, so effectively, uh, it, that cannot observe in itself, in its, in its human abilities, as, as acute as they may be, it cannot observe God's thoughts. That means that we can experience and observe so much in our lifetimes. You know, there are some of you who are here this morning, um, you've lived a long time, or you've lived an average amount of time, and, and you've experienced a lot of things. You've seen a lot of people You've gone to a lot of places. You have a lot of experiences. You, you've you've uh, learned so much. You've observed so much. It, it, it means that even, that even in a full lifetime would not be enough to come to the truth of God. Some of you have done things that are amazing. Everyone here has a story, but some of your stories are much more impressive than others. You've done some remarkable things, but 10 lifetimes combined could not bring you to the truth of God. That's what he's saying here. You you can't understand God's thoughts on your own through simply observation. Verse 9 also says, no human mind can conceive or comprehend is how another translation puts it. What God has prepared for those who love him. So that means our reason or our intellect, cannot discover God's truth. It's almost, in a sense, somewhat hopeless in that you look at that and he's simply saying here that on your own, you can't come to the truth of God through your observation, through your intellect, through your learning. None of it is going to be sufficient to come into a full understanding of God. I'm a proponent of education. I like it that, that we, have, we have people that are learning all the time. Last week, we acknowledged, what, six or seven people in our church who just graduated from some degree of higher education. In a couple of weeks, we're going to acknowledge our high school graduates. Maybe you're going to an open house of a friend or a family member. We celebrate education, but no amount of learning can make us right with God. No amount of education can bring you into peace with God. Many people think that the answer is, if I just learn more, if I acquire more, if I experience more, if I observe more carefully, then I can find peace with God. But that is going to be an eternal elusiveness. You will never find it. It's only through the power of God. You see, someone who is spiritually dead cannot comprehend the thoughts of God. We were created with three parts. There's a body that that relates to the physical world around us. There is a soul which relates to other people around us. But there's a spirit with which we relate to God. Out there in the parking lot, my wife and I have a car. It's a six-cylinder Buick. It has six cylinders on it. I promise you that if two of those cylinders, one-third of those cylinders suddenly stopped operating, it would at best function in a very halting way. I doubt that it would start. If it did, it wouldn't go very far or very fast. 
when it's operating on only two-thirds of, of, the, of the cylinders. You see, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they died spiritually. Their relationship was, with God was broken. They could still relate to the world around them. Their bodies hadn't died yet. They would, but their bodies were still alive. Their souls, the way that they interacted with other people, there was only one other person at that time, but they still had the ability to interact. But suddenly that relationship with God was broken. There was a spiritual death that happened, and because of that, they were dysfunctional. This needed to be restored. This was still operating, but this was broken. That's why we need a spiritual rebirth. That's why we need to have this relationship with God restored. How does that happen? It happened when, when Jesus died on the cross and he, brought, brought, and, he, and he bridged that gap between sinful man and a holy God. Jesus made it possible for us to be in right relationship with God. And it comes to a spiritual rebirth. That's why we have to be born again. In John chapter 3, you know you know the, the story about Nicodemus. It's in John chapter 3, verse 16, that we have that most famous of verses in the Bible. But, but, but it was in that same context that, that Jesus told this man named Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must have a spiritual rebirth. To put it in a kind of a basic way, you ha you, you're only operating on two-thirds you're only operating in the, in the interactive with people, and you're only operating in the physical in the world, but the spiritual is broken. You need to have that restored. You must be born again. So here's a question for you. Are you born again? I mean, that's a question that I have for every person in this room, for every person who is listening online, for every person who's listening to a recording. I want to ask you the question, are you born again? Have you a relationship with Jesus Christ that is restored, that is in right relationship, has made you in right relationship with God, so that you are, if, you, if I can say this, so that you're operating on all cylinders, so that you have eternal life? Are you born again? You will never be in a place of surrendered thinking. Your mind will never be right until you are right with God. That's just basic, that's elementary, but I really need to establish that. You want to be right thinking, you want to have your mind operating in a way that, that, that is not only surrendered to God, but is being powerfully used of God, then you need to come into right relationship with Him. That's where it begins. Well, here's another question for you if you're t writing these down. Are you filtering what comes into your mind? Now, I'm talking to believers, people who have been born again, people who have a right relationship with God. Um, but are you filtering what comes into your mind? You understand how a filter works. Here's, here's the basic uh, essentials of, of a filter. Uh, it's a barrier of some kind that stops harmful things from passing from one place to another. It's a barrier of sorts that stops harmful things from passing from one place to another. Um, the air that you're breathing right now 
it has been filtered simply because we have, I don't know if it's on heat today or if it's on air conditioning. It could be both, you know, this time of year. But it, that air passes through an air filter, right, in the furnace or, or the AC unit. It passes through a filter and it takes out some things that we don't necessarily want to breathe. Uh, the, the, uh, the oil and the fuel and the air that goes through your car is filtered. God even put a filter within you. It's, it's called a liver. It, it, God, God said to have this body properly function, we need to filter the blood through the liver. Um, I mentioned this to my daughter this morning. We were coming to church and, uh, and she said, oh, she said, anybody age 30 and younger, uh, when you say filter, they're going to think of, of, of a, uh, when there's a social media platform that there's a filter. And I'm learning all this stuff. She said, how many know what I'm talking about? There's a filter that makes you, she said, any image that you put in of yourself, it makes you look better on the other side. Yeah, I didn't even know this, obviously. I didn't know this. That you can do something so you, you can look better in a picture if you run it through a filter. And so I, I didn't know anything about this. But uh, um, Pastor Brad, let's, let's address that tomorrow in staff meeting. Make, let's make sure that we get something like that on my computer. It's a filter. It's a filter. It stops something uh, from going from this place to another place. God's word in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, says this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's really kind of, in a sense, talking about a filter. It says here that God's peace, through Jesus Christ, guards our hearts and our minds. It's talking about faith in Jesus Christ, right? If we have a relationship with God, then we have peace with God. We're no longer at odds with God. If we're in right relationship with Him, then we have peace with God, and that guards our hearts and it guards our minds. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if you are born again, if you've experienced new birth, new life in Him, then, then there's a guard that He has placed on your heart and on your mind. It guards it. That means if we don't have him, anything can come in and capture our heart and our mind. And there are so many people who do not yet have a relationship with him, and you wonder why they're led away by so many things. It's because there's no guard. There's no guard on their heart or on their mind. Now look at the next verse. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, these are not his his physical family, they're his spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In your minds, I want you to imagine uh, membranes, there's something coming in here, but there's some membranes. In fact, there's about eight different membranes, eight different uh, plies, if you will. And, 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 and because there are eight things here. This, this means that all of these different things, whatever's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Do you see the, the filter working here? 
This means that what we read as a follower of Jesus Christ, what we read, what we see or watch, what we learn, the people we listen to, even if we aren't close to them, but the people whose voices are important to us, the people that we listen to, or the people that are close up to us, the people that we allow close to our hearts, the people that we associate with, all of them have the ability to influence our thinking and our feeling. People around us, things around us, things we take in, right? Those different things, they have the ability to influence our thinking and our feeling. doesn't matter your age. Uh, I've heard the expression, you have as well. Oh, they have an impressionable mind because they're young. Listen, I don't care how old you are, your mind is still impressionable. If you think for a moment that you're going to get to a certain point, and boy, you know what, boy, at age 30 and above, finally, you know, I'm just not impressionable. You're wrong. Every one of us, until our last breath, are impressionable. What are you allowing into your life what is or is not being stopped by this filter of sorts. Verse 8, we're told, that our, we're told that our minds are to think about these things. Think about these things. We can think, or another translation says ponder. Another, another translation says dwell upon. We can think or ponder or dwell upon so many things. What are you thinking about? What are you allowing into your brain? Someone says something harsh. Don't raise your hands, but I mean, has it happened to you? Someone says something to you that's maybe an unintentional, sometimes intentional, and it's harsh and it's painful. And we can think about that. We can dwell upon it. We read about an uncertain economy or or social unrest in our nation, right? I mean, we hear it, or we read it, or we observe it. And we can dwell on that. And we can just dwell on that. And it can become our world if we just dwell on that. We, we read about death statistics, right? This many people have died this many ways. We can, we can become so obsessed, obsessed with those things. We can dwell upon those things. People close to us are hurt, the person hurt them, not us, but because they're close to us, then we hurt as well. And we can dwell upon it. We can just think about it and think about it and think about it. And it affects us. In the 16 or 17 or more waking hours of your day, what are you thinking about? What are you allowing, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's where I want to, I'm going to start with that assumption. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what are you allowing into your mind? We need to filter. You know, it's interesting, as I've observed in this last year, this is not a commentary pro or con on in any regard, but there have been so many precautions taken to protect oneself against a virus or against an infection or against a medical compromise. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm simply saying there have been so many precautions taken, and yet how many people, 
while they're very careful about one thing, allow anything else into their minds. Very, very careful about what they allow into their bodies. How many people look at the food that they eat or the air that they breathe or the, the, the water they drink? It can only be a certain kind or a, a certain kind of a filter. They'll allow anything. They're, they're very careful about what they allow into their bodies, but they are not careful about what they allow into their minds because there's no filter. Fascinating. Again, brothers and sisters, it says, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. It doesn't say, it doesn't say don't think about it. That's implied, but think about these things. So maybe there's some things, well, here's where I'm going to get into trouble a little bit. Maybe there's some things that come to you in the news or that come in social media or come in a discussion or come in a conversation with someone. And, you're, and, and, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's going to bring back this verse and say, is that right? Is that pure? Is that glorifying to God? Is that commendable? And, and run it through the filter. This thing that I'm watching, this thing that I'm reading, this thing that I'm listening to, this person who's speaking to me, run it through the filter. One more question for you this morning, and that is, are you focusing on the Word of God? In that, uh, what was it, 34 gigabytes of information that you are taking in every day, how much of it is in God's Word? Don't shout out, don't raise your hands, but ask that question. How much of the information that you are so devoted to and receiving and so anxious to find out in the morning or in the evening or partway through the day. How much of it is the truth of God's Word? You see, we need daily, regular exposure to God's Word. We need regular and constant exposure to the truth of God's Word. We need to be able to refute the lies by knowing the truth of God's Word. When we do this, <coughs> when we are people of the Word, when we are people who give ourselves to the study of God's Scripture, to the reading of God's Scripture, I'm going to say this again and again. It may upset some of you, but some of you, the only word you're getting is from a message on Sunday morning and you're wondering why you get pushed around spiritually. It's because you're, you're, you're spiritually depleted. There's power when we study God's Word. There's power when we read God's Word, when we take the, 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 the lies of this world and hold them against the truth of the, of the Word. Something happens. When we study and read and absorb, listen to God's Word, our minds, ab ab it absorbs its truth and its principles. When you do this, you're going to be shocked. I promise you, if you become a person of God's Word, if this becomes such an important part of your day, you're going to be shocked. You're going to be shocked when, when, when you see that the things of, of the world, that, that the world thinks are proper or permissible, are actually crooked and perverse. You're, you're going to go, wait a minute, I, I thought that was the way that we were supposed to act. I thought that's what we were supposed to do. 
I thought that's how we are supposed to respond. That's what the world says. But all of a sudden you realize the word, the truth, the power, the timeless power of God's word says something differently. Suddenly you're going to start seeing things different. The things that you hear, the things that you see, the things that you read, the things that other people say to you. All of a sudden it's going to change and you're going to say, wow, I thought that was proper. No, it's perverse. But only if we measure it against the truth of his word. How many Christians, brothers and sisters, how many Christians are consumed by thoughts of, of anger or bitterness or unforgiveness and revenge? How many Christians um, are, are pondering, are thinking about how can I get even with that person or how can I express my anger to them? Those, are, those, those thoughts are not from God. His word says... In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It says, put them away from you. Let all of it, not some of it, all of it be put away from you. It takes emotional energy to maintain anger and bitterness. Quick story. Uh, probably about 40 years ago, my father would have been, um, maybe a little bit more than that, 45 years ago, my father would have been uh, in his mid-30s, late 30s. Uh, my dad passed away uh, a few years ago, and if you knew my dad, as many of you did, he was a very easygoing guy um, uh, in, in, in regards to uh, how he interacted with people. He never met a stranger. He was a, he was a delightful person to to just talk with. He was really funny and engaging. And um, so most people really liked my dad. But there was a guy in our church, I won't mention his name, he was an older gentleman at that time, but uh, he, uh, he really had it out for my dad. He just did not like my dad at all. I don't know what my dad did or said, but this guy just despised my father. One night, it was a Sunday evening, the pastor was preaching about forgiveness and how the Bible's very clear that if you can't forgive your brother, uh, then he will not forgive us. And so, so, I mean, the pastor just said, you know, this is a matter of your eternal life. You have to, you have to be able to forgive someone. After the service, after the service um, this, this older gentleman came up to my dad and he said, uh, he looked at my father and he says, Dale Wildman, that's my dad's name, he said, Dale Wildman, he said, I want you to know I forgive you but I still hate your guts. <laughs> now, my, my dad would tell that story, not because he was angry, but because it's such a funny story. I, I forgive you, but I still hate your guts. Well, you know, you really can't have it both ways. Now, you may not go on a road trip with someone and be their best friend, but to say that I hate your guts means that you really haven't forgiven them. What does it say here again? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and <clears throat> clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It takes emotional energy to maintain anger and bitterness. It's one of the reasons why many people, I'm talking about Christians, it's one of the reasons why many people feel so emotionally and mentally depleted. It's because they've been carrying what others have done to them. I'll tell you what, you want to you be emotionally depleted? Start carrying around all of those offenses for the rest of your life. 
Because if you're willing to take up one, I promise you, you're going to take up another one and another one and another one and another one, and it will wear you out. That's why the Holy Spirit, through Paul, wrote that in Ephesians chapter 4. It's killing people. They don't even know it. Do you have thoughts of self-condemnation or inferiority or guilt? You need to measure it against the power of God's word because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, that's what we do. We, may, we go, I feel this way or I think this way, but what does God's word say? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you have thoughts of worry or fear or anxiety? They're not from God because Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, Jesus said, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. He says, Stop worrying. Jesus said that. I didn't. Jesus said it. And then we go, Wait, well, I'm just a worrier. No, measure it against the authority of God's word. And God's word says, Jesus said in his word, Don't worry. A few weeks ago, our son was over at our house. Our youngest son, we were talking about some of our favorite songs, and, and uh, I, I don't know how what led it one thing to another, and I, we just uh, started singing. Joni and I started singing many things about tomorrow. I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. Great song. And my son, my youngest son said, he got real, and he's kind of a joker. My youngest son said, uh, my youngest son said uh, I want that song sung at my funeral. That's powerful. It was about 11 o'clock when he said that. We went to bed shortly thereafter at 2.35 in the morning. I remember because I looked at the clock. I woke up and I was in a cold sweat and I was dreaming about my son dying. So two things I did. I said, wait a minute, Lord. I'm not going to worry about that because you're in charge of a day and you're going to care for us. You're going to protect my son. That's the first thing I did. And the second thing I said, don't you ever talk to, to my son. I said, don't you ever talk to me about your funeral again. <laughs> right? But you know, I mean, whatever, you fit in whatever applies to you. You can start, you can just, it can wear on you. You can worry about those things. But hold it against the power of God's word. Thoughts of pride or arrogance or superiority, those are not from, those thoughts are not from God. Because Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Have you felt sorry for yourself? Have you, have you, have you viewed yourself as the perpetual victim? Well, there's a lot of self-pity going around. There's a lot of people in our world, in our society, who view themselves as the perpetual victim. It's self-pity. It's self-pity. And Satan is using that to trap millions of people into lifetimes of defeat. But Romans chapter 8 verse 37 says, In all things we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. Do you see what happened? Because I'm in him. I'm starting to view things differently and I'm measuring them against the power of God's word. So when the world around me says, you're a victim, it's not your fault, and we get consumed with self-pity, we respond with, wait a minute, in Jesus Christ I am more than a conqueror. I'm not a perpetual victim. 
<coughs> Friends, we need to hold the lies of this world against the truth of God's word. And I promise you, they will fall every time. They'll fall every time. When we do it, we will be thinking God's thoughts. That is a lot more than I can say. And I'm going to hold this small little series to two messages. But I want to finish with a brief story that you may know. It's from Luke chapter 8. We won't read it, but I'll tell you the story. Some of you know even the details of it. Luke chapter 8, there was a man who the Bible says was possessed by numerous demon spirits. We refer to him as the Gerasene demoniac. He was consumed. He had within him dwelling numerous demonic spirits. He was a horrible wreck of a man. It says that he lived in a cemetery. People were terrified of him. He tore off his clothes. They would try to clothe him. He would tear off his clothes. And, he, and the Bible says also that he would cut himself with sharp stones, gash himself. What a horrible wreck. What a, what a, a sorrowful creature he must have been. And he was absolutely out of his mind. The best part of the story is that he met Jesus. And Jesus delivered him. And Jesus set that man free like that. But it's at the end of his recorded story, and I say recorded because there was more to his story, that we don't know. It's not recorded in the Bible, but we will, I believe, find out one day because I know this man is in heaven with Jesus now. We'll meet him. But it's at the end of his recorded story that I want to point out. It says the people who had known him as the demoniac, this manic, raging, grievous person, it says the people found him sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. I like that. There he was. So easy to picture. He's sitting down at the feet of Jesus. He's, he's not running around, breaking off the chains that people tried to put on him. He's not running around naked. He's not running around. He's, his, he may have some wounds, but they've been bandaged up. Or maybe Jesus even healed him of that. He no longer has that crazy manic look in his eye. It says he's seated at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed. I really like that last line. In his right mind. In his right mind. I point that out, that story, in conclusion, because I want you to know that Jesus heals people's minds. He heals people's minds. If he can deliver a person that far gone, how much more so can he deliver you? See, God gave us this wonderful, this wonderful, magnificent three-pound organ called the brain. But he can heal it. He can do powerful things. He can protect our thoughts. He can set us free. I know this. Now, perhaps at some point in this message, you've thought, yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. 
you don't, you don't know what I've been through. Pastor, you don't know the memories that I have. And you're absolutely right. I don't know the memories that you have. I don't know what has happened to you. But I know this, that my Jesus heals and my Jesus delivers and my Jesus sets people free and he can do it for you. As we close, I want you to do this. Would you, would you bow your heads, please? Um, last week, we, we opened up these altars and many of you came forward. Uh, uh, these altars at the close of our service will be open. If you want to come up and spend some additional time in prayer, please feel free to do so. Just turn out the lights when you leave. But I want you to make an altar right where you are because really this message applies to everyone. It applies to mothers, fathers, applies to people who've never had a child, applies to young, to old, applies to every person and every, every kind of status of life. God wants to touch your mind. He wants to heal your mind. He wants to protect your mind. He wants to comfort your mind and calm your mind. He wants His Word to be so much a part of your daily life, the daily intake of information, so that when the lies of this world come at it, they come against the power and the truth of God's Word and they fall flat. He wants that. I know that. So right where you are, everyone, would you just ask Him to touch your mind? have a problem. Just ask him. Ask him to do a work in your mind to give you thoughts that have never come before because he wants to speak to you. Ask him to, to comfort you if that applies because you've been disturbed, you've been wounded. Ask him to heal you in your mind. Ask him to guard you. Some of you have let some things in. But no filter. You'll, you're careful about what you take into your stomach or into your lungs, but you've not had a filter on your mind. He wants to put it there from his word. So Lord, right where we are now in this place, we surrender ourselves again to you. Lord, there may be some here that even right now are just saying, Lord, come into my heart forgive my sins, be, become my Lord and Savior. I want to be born again. Lord, I know if they pray that very simple prayer, then you will do it. But having been, having experienced that new birth, may they also walk in freedoms in their, in, in freedom in their minds. So this I pray for every person here. Comfort, guard, deliver, keep, filter. Give insight. Give wisdom. Give answers to questions that in the natural they could never come up with. Give direction when they don't know which way to go. May you put it in their minds the right way to go. A decision that they're facing. 
this way or that, God, would you give them the insight? Because they're in right relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Would you all stand, please? I want to thank you for joining us today. Once again, these altars are open. God is going to do amazing things through you. This message was not for, well, not just for anyone. This was for everyone. And I want to ask God's blessing upon you. Jesus, now bless my brothers and my sisters. That's what you call them in your word. Bless my brothers and my sisters, for that's what they are. I ask that you'll give them favor, insight, direction, protection in every way. I pray that we will be the church, not just go to church. I pray that we will share the good news of Jesus Christ to the people who are going to hell without it. Lord, you've strategically placed us in their lives. So use us for your glory, in your blessing, thinking your thoughts. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ.